All right, guys, because this story sort of evolved as I was recording today, I just wanted to give you a context of the latest information, and this seems like it will be about final, according to the Iowa State Democratic Party, with 86.06% of precincts reporting. That is 1,519 out of 1,765. It does appear that Pete Buttigieg will retain his lead for proportional delegates at 26.7% to 25.4%. Bernie Sanders retains his lead, uh, thin though it is, at under 1,000 of the popular vote. So there we go. That is the latest, and based on the numbers, almost assuredly, the broad strokes of who is going to win and uh, in what order they're going to do it seems to be settled, obviously, with the discrepancy of Pete Buttigieg winning the delegates and Bernie winning the popular vote. So with that, here's the episode beginning with how I imagine Bernie Sanders supporters are feeling. Particularly what doesn't make it to your home television set. Watch this unused camera take. Bernie Sanders supporters. Do you realize that you are not getting definitive Iowa results for 72 hours? What? I said. You are not getting results and Mayor P declared victory twice already. What? You son of a bitch. You no good From Shreveport, Louisiana, via international satellite hookup, the victim of that... Iowa caucus. How do you feel about your experience... At the Iowa caucus. Angry. Thank you. Politics, politics, politics program. My name is Justin Robert Young, back from Des Moines. You can still hear the Des Moines on my voice, and I don't know what I'm going to do before I got to get out to the Granite State this weekend. We have a ton to talk about. Obviously, all the fallout of the Iowa caucus, the fact that we're still reporting results. As I record this right now, 10 o'clock in the morning, Wednesday, Pacific time, we still don't have 100% of the votes counted in Iowa. And it is so close that we can't definitively say who won. This is malpractice. But we're going to break news, I guess. We're going to cover this live on Wednesday 
We're going to be able to break down the results that we do have with Dave Peterson of Iowa State University. I mean, I don't even know what we're... I mean, like, this is all happening so fast. Uh, and then, of course, we have the State of the Union. Impeachments literally happening today. Good God, fam. Good God. But because we are nothing but forward-looking on this show, let's take a moment to realize where we are. The Iowa caucus, being as bumbled as it is, and we're going to spend a lot of the rest of this podcast, I assume, talking about historically what a cluster this is and whether or not it will indeed end the Iowa caucus as we know it. Indeed, quite possibly the biggest victim the campaign undertaker could reap would be Iowa itself. But since we didn't get the big narrative moment of release, we didn't get winners with balloons dropping, we didn't get losers comforting their crowds, knowing, with everybody knowing that the results were in and things are now changed. We didn't get that. But gravity still exists. And so you're starting to see two campaigns begin to feel it specifically. News today from the Warren campaign. They have canceled $355,000 worth of ad reservations in Nevada and South Carolina. That's the shot. Here's the chaser. They added 37000 in ad buys in New Hampshire. Now that to an outsider sure seems like somebody who is trying to make New Hampshire an all-or-nothing proposition. Because remember this, no matter what, the lack of an official announcement on caucus night also means that you didn't get the big trumpet blaring that says, if you believe in this candidate, now's the time to donate. These are the moments, big national television moments, when money comes in. And I mean, everybody's going to have less money now. Even the winners, such as we know them. Mayor Pete, less money. Bernie, less money. But let's say you're one of these campaigns that needs some momentum. Elizabeth Warren finished third. That wasn't where she wanted to be. It wasn't why she bought one of the best ground games in Iowa history. Yet it's where she was. Not terrible, but not as bad as some candidates. But now, New Hampshire, which by all demographics should be her best state. She is a senator from Massachusetts. When I fly out there this weekend, I'm going to be going through Boston. So obviously she's a known quantity with these voters. If she doesn't win, in New Hampshire, then we got to start asking that question. What's the point of a you? So I get it why she's canceling these ad reservations. She can always go back and rebuy them up. But right now, it is all or nothing. 
in New Hampshire. And I would not be surprised if we start to see her campaign getting a little more desperate. Now, I don't know what else she can do. She can draw a harder line in the sand with Bernie. We can play a little bit more of the Bernie is a misogynist card. In talking with some of the media folks in Iowa, you know, there are a few tells that you might know that they are really, really, really worried. Let's say if that, there's an old essay that Bernie wrote that is very weird and it's sexually explicit and it it, it goes into the idea that, that women have rape fantasies. It's legit, right? But it was forever ago. So I'm just saying... If that ex- if if there is a desperation from some of these campaigns, like I think there will be, and Elizabeth Warren is one of them, and Elizabeth Warren has already laid a line in the sand that Bernie Sanders has a misogyny problem, if that comes a-tumbling out, you know she's desperate. But let's get back to the money for a second. Because in my opinion, there is one person for whom New Hampshire is actually do or die. And that's Joe Biden. Here is David Axelrod on CNN talking about Joe Biden's current position. Biden has a big problem. Mm-hmm. He has a big problem. Uh, the, uh, he was His campaign manager some time ago said they would be viable in 95% of the state. Yep. They expected to do much better. And the big problem he has is not only the deficiencies that showed in his appeal, but he is dead broke. And he needs to raise money. And it's hard to raise money off of an anemic fourth-place finish. So he needs to revive himself in New Hampshire or this firewall that everybody talks about in South Carolina may just not be there. Yeah, I think that's right. Just remember who told you that if Joe Biden takes hilarious L's in the first two contests that this South Carolina strategy was never going to hold up. All right? Like, I'm not going to do a a ton of look at me. I'm not going to do a ton of that. All right, maybe I'll do a little bit of it. Maybe I'll do a little bit of it. What did I tell you last week? What did I tell you last week? I told you that Amy Klobuchar was going to blame impeachment for why she came in, uh, I guess, fifth place in, in Iowa. Here's what she said during her remarks. Even in a crowded field of candidates, uh, even uh, during the well-earned impeachment hearing of Donald J. Trump, which kept me bolted to my Senate desk for the last two weeks, we kept fighting. My final prediction was Bernie, Pete, Warren, and bafflingly, it's still in play. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know if Bernie is going to overtake Pete. It is so close in Iowa right now that by the time I think we're at 72% reported. I it, it is I can't wait to talk to Dave uh uh because I I can't fathom why. What is even the explanation as to why we don't have 100% of the vote counted. And beyond that, is it something that when it stretches this long can be trusted? Uh, uh, vote counts are are like fish. Like you got to serve them immediately or else they're going to stink. All right, we, we got to get Dave on. We're going to get him on right after this. 
Politics. Guys, uh, uh, it's happening. It's all happening, and it's all happening because of you. TakePoliticsSeriously.com is the place, and you are the rocket fuel that is blasting us to Mars right now. Never have we had this kind of support. Never have we had these kind of downloads. Uh, uh, I, I, I hope that you guys are getting what you've paid for. We had a massive episode go out on Monday. If you are a $3 member, then you got it, and it was basically a full-length episode. Normally, those are, are minisodes, but I had so much stuff from Iowa that, that it just wound up becoming a 45, 50-minute episode. If you want to listen to that, go ahead and do it. If you want to listen to what's going to happen over this week here in, in New Hampshire, I'm going to be in New Hampshire recording stuff all throughout Sunday, so that means that the Monday episode is going to be a chock full of that. Uh, and then, obviously, I'll have... All stuff through Tuesday that will be part of the Wednesday episode. Guys, now's the time to get on the train. TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you go to do it. Furthermore, if you want to be in the loop on the newsletter, free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com, this is the quickest way that I actually interact with everybody uh, five days a week. So if you want to know... What's happening on the ground in all of these places, that's the place to do it. And, folks, we are in full proselytizing mode. Now's the time. Social media, with your friend groups, talking to your mom, talking to your old pal from college. If they are into politics, now's the time to recommend this show. We are growing at a rapid rate, and you want to be the person that helps spread the word. We're doing it like nobody else does it. I'm so proud of you guys in my corner. I'm so proud to create this show for you. And let me tell you this. Because I talk to a lot of my friends that are in the media over Iowa. I'm, I'm probably going to talk to a few more of them while I'm out there in New Hampshire. You want to know what every single one of them, some of them work for big companies, some of them work for small companies. You want to know what every single one of them said to me? You should be proud of that community. They know. They know. People who are in these media structures, they know that you guys are the future. They know that this is the kind of stuff that we can only make by ourselves. And damn, am I happy to do it. Freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Takepoliticsseriously.com. Let's get into this Iowa interview. Our guest today is Dave Peterson. He is the Whitaker Lindgren Faculty Fellow in Political Science at Iowa State University, and you can find him on Twitter, Dave Amp. Welcome back to the show, Dave. Hey, glad to be back. Oh, man. Okay, so where do we even start? I, I guess we, we, we probably have to start with a question that I never in a million years thought I would be asking uh, as we inch into day three of the Iowa caucus, uh, where are we now in terms of reported results? Uh, last I saw it, I've been teaching this morning, so I might be a little behind, is we're a little over 70% of the reported results in. How crazy is that? Like, historically, th th this is oh. insane. 
Well, I mean, right. So, yes, it's bizarre. But honestly, we have no idea from past Iowa caucuses how many of the votes actually got counted. Right. Because in the past, all they ever reported were the delegate counts. Yeah. Um, and so we don't know what happened. I mean, right. Uh, in 12, the, I mean, the Republicans report numbers. And in 12, it took them not this long. But at the time, what seemed like forever. Um, but, yeah, no, this is this is a little unbelievable. All right. So of that 72 percent of precincts that have been or, or I guess vote that has been counted, I don't even know if it's by precinct. Uh we have a slight edge in terms of the standard metric by which we've usually counted the winner, right? That is the state yep. delegate equivalents uh, for Pete Buttigieg. And then we have raw vote that has come in that puts Bernie Sanders ahead not only in first choice but also on the reallocation. So for folks who are not experts in this, how can the person who won the last amount of raw vote – uh, lose by another metric in state delegate equivalents. Right. I mean, so part of it is, you know, part of the, the analogy to think about is individual legislative seats versus control of the legislature. Okay. Uh, right. So, you know, uh, one party can uh, get a majority of the votes for all the legislative seats, but not get a majority of the legislature. Um, right. Because each of these delegates, well, the state delegate equivalents are the things that come out of these 1,600-plus caucuses. And so I may run up a margin in one precinct, um, but that doesn't help me in another precinct yeah. right? because they're, they're specific to that spot. But the other piece is that Buttigieg was – right. so you, don't, you get zero if you're below 15 percent yeah. in, in one of these precincts. And Buttigieg was above 15 percent in a wider range of – in more precincts than Sanders was. And by the way, credit to you, because you pointed this out last week, that that was going to be a natural advantage for him. Uh, uh, yep. So let's let's begin to talk about this as somewhat of a normal caucus, uh, uh, at least based on the numbers that we have now. Buttigieg, I mean, just a bizarre weekend all around. We have the, the famed Des Moines Register and Seltzer final poll uh, get canceled uh, at at the yep. last minute, by way of uh, apparently a problem where where Pete was not at least uh, asked to one respondent, uh, and then kind of what what at least seemed to me on the ground in Des Moines to be a big surge for Pete comes to fruition. Uh, uh, what is the story of the results we've seen so far in terms of why Mayor Pete made this a at least by all available metrics a victory? Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I'm a little unsure, right? I mean, we had – in the polling that I did, he had dropped a little bit in January. Um, you know, we got uh, – to, to toot my own horn for a minute, we got three of the four candidates exactly right, and we're just slightly off on Buttigieg. In fact, we were – but we were closer on Buttigieg and some of the other pollsters uh, than most of the other pollsters. So we, were, we did pretty good. But uh, I'm not sure – you know, I was, I was not expecting him, based on our last poll – to, to come out in, in the in the lead. I mean, I think part of it is Buttigieg had a had an excellent campaign on the ground. Um, he had invested heavily early in building an organization, in uh, getting people to show up at stuff and and to be the uh, uh, to be the most impressive campaign on the ground. So you know, the two biggest events of the, of the caucus were the Polk County Steak Fry and then the the Liberty and Justice Dinner. And he out-organized everybody at those things. I mean, the crowds were – his crowds were the biggest. Um, they were the 
most well-organized. They were the most visible. And a lot of that was getting people to, to drive to Des Moines on whatever day it was from yeah. all over the state. And so, you know, those were signs that his campaign had been had been building and organizing well beyond what the others had done. All right. Bernie, this was, yep. at least in my opinion, uh, compared to 2016, a much more seriously organized campaign than I remember, at least. There was a little bit of a happy-go-lucky air in 2016 that was replaced by certainly a revolutionary zeal as I visited some of their volunteer centers and speak to the people on the ground. They obviously turned people out. This was a tremendous showing, yet they are denied even the, the ability to say that they had a victory on the raw vote uh, on caucus night. Uh, what is the story of Bernie Sanders 2020 in Iowa? I mean, I, at some, um, honestly, I think I was, a, I was surprised he wasn't a little bit higher than, in the, in the actual raw vote numbers. Um, you know, I think the, he, it, he had an, he had a good campaign. Um, and I think that, you know, his people were the most committed, right? They were the most dedicated of any of the candidates. If you were a Bernie Sanders supporter, you had no second doubts, right? No questions about what you were going to do where a lot of the other candidates, their supporters were ambivalent, right? It's, you know, they were like, well, maybe Pete, maybe Biden, maybe Klobuchar. And the Sanders people were dead set on Sanders. Um, and that was true over the course of the campaign. From our survey data, the vast majority, all, basically almost all of the Sanders supporters were Sanders and 16 people. You know, yeah. he gained very few Hillary and 16 people. So these were these are people who have been with him for five years. Um, he was banking, I think, on higher turnout um, and particularly a lot higher turnout of younger voters that didn't seem to, to manifest itself. Um, so I think he had a good night. I, he didn't get the knockout punch that he probably was hoping for, though. So let's talk about that for a second, because yeah. when I was on the ground, people seemed bullish on the idea that this was going to be Obama in 08 level yep. turnout, that there were so many candidates that were viable. There was so much media attention. This has stretched on longer than any previous primary uh, system with uh, its own galaxy of stars that has orbited around Iowa for so long that there was going to be a surge based on the numbers that didn't happen. Why do you think that right. is? Right, I'm not. You know, I'm not exactly sure. I think I I do think there's a I I think um for some folks the ambivalence hurt, right? So, you know, I mean, remember these caucuses aren't just showing up to vote. This is you got to be in a place, you got to publicly commit and all your neighbors see where you go. Um and you got to make a decision. And I think for some people, the there was a little bit of paralysis, a little bit of indecision, not because they didn't like anybody, but because they liked a lot of them. Um, and I'm going to, I'm guessing, because I haven't seen the data, um, but that for some Iowans who who had trouble making a decision, they decided not to decide, basically, and to stay home. So do you think that that part of the intensity, because things did get a little, a little tight. Toward the end, you know, yeah. there, there was there was static. The ads, uh, at least that I saw on local television, were far more pointed than we've seen nationally so far. Yeah. Uh, with, with candidates really kind of getting uh, laying into each other. 
that 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 intensity might have turned off some of the voters that would would otherwise no, no, go out. No, I don't think that's I don't think that's it, right? I think what no, I think more it's like you know you could imagine somebody who kind of likes two to three to four of these candidates. Okay. And if you can't really decide, then why leave the house? Why <laughs> why leave the house? Right. I mean, yeah, basically, right? I mean. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, I, I didn't live here in 08, so I didn't observe 08 in person. Yeah. Right. But you have a sense of, I mean, it's hard to remember what Clinton was like 12 years ago. But as the, you know, in 08 had the potential to be the first woman president. Right. And that that's an inspiring story. And Barack Obama, clearly an inspiring story. Um, and then right third that year was John – or actually second that year because he actually beat Hillary Clinton was John yeah. Edwards, who we didn't know he was a terrible human being yet. Um, no. So, you know, but he, he was, was, he, the, was the he, he was Americas, just in the process of right? impregnating his videographer. Right. Yeah. I mean he, he was being a terrible human. Yes. We just didn't know that. <laughs> we did not know. Right? Yeah. But he was – yeah. No, I mean he had been here in 04. He had done well in 04. Right? He'd been Kerry's running mate. And so – his message was also a sort of hopeful and inspiring one in a way that was really different. And so the top three candidates were pretty different, right? But each of them had this nice appeal in 08, right? That could, that I could, you know, I could understand the argument for why that is an inspiring candidate. And, and in this time, I think there's a little less inspiration, right? Sanders is to his people. That's clear. I, I don't see Biden necessarily as an inspirational guy, right? Yeah. We may not – the Democrats may not need inspiration right now, right, because they're all motivated by anger. Um, and, you know, so that, that may, it just might be a little bit of a different time and, and a different circumstance. Um, but it just I – I don't think those candidates had the same quite appeal that they had in 08. So let's talk about Biden then, because to me, there are two disappointments that really come out of Iowa, and they are Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren. Let's let's start with Biden here, because he comes in fourth. Obviously, that's not where he wants to be. You've got some of the buzzards circling on on cable news like David Axelrod talking about how his campaign is dead broke uh, uh, and, and the idea maybe waiting for South Carolina is looking more and more foolhardy compared to your numbers. Where did he land on caucus night? Right. We had him fourth, right? So I know a lot of polls were having him sort of uh, either first or second with Bernie. And we were sort of uh, bearish on him for months now. Um, and he's been fourth in our polling for months. Uh, right. There's a lot of luck in getting polls, right? So, uh, you know, sure. I don't want to yeah. make it sound like too much, but um, you know, his, if you went going to his events, they were less well attended and they were kind of boring. And, and I don't, I don't think you can compare events to Bernie, right? His events are just totally different things. Yeah. But compared to Warren or compared to Buttigieg, there just seemed a lot less energy in the room and a lot less interest in seeing him. And, you know, if you're drawing from, and I think he was in part drawing from some of the same people as Buttigieg and Klobuchar and Warren, that's, that means something. I mean, I still think part of Biden's problem is everybody kind of likes Joe Biden, but he's as people are learning about these other candidates, he's less and less people's favorite. That doesn't mean he's a bad candidate. That doesn't mean they don't like him. But there, there's something about the other candidates that are inspiring them more. Well, and also, it's if you're going to be the electability guy, you you got to get elected. 
right? Like well, you got to yeah, do well on election yeah, night. I mean, that... So uh, there is there is an inherent problem to the engine that drives his campaign if he's finishing fourth instead of first or second at least. Yes. No. Absolutely. I mean, I you know at at some point he's that's. Uh, that's a big deal. So, so that, that has the potential to be quite bad for him. Here's here's my question then. Is the rise of Buttigieg directly tied to the slow decomposition of the support with Joe Biden? That that especially in caucus night when you're looking across the the the, the way, you see that Bernie's doing well or Warren's doing well, but you are a Democratic voter that is uh, uh, maybe not in love with some of the progressive ideals, not in love with Medicare for all, although that polled very yep. well, at least in entrance uh, polls that I saw. Uh, uh, but you like that that Mayor Pete seems like that vessel. Do, do you think that there is a correlation there? No, absolutely. Right. I mean, I think um, that Mayor Pete and I think to a lesser extent, Klobuchar, right, created problems for him. Right. Because. Um, yeah, that they're drawn from the same set of Iowans, um, and and it's like you know as as if Klobuchar had not closed well, and I think I, I do think that, you know there was some polling data that suggested she was doing better and better. If she hadn't had that, I think Biden does much better. I mean, there were there were reports from some precincts, for instance, where uh, all the Biden people moved to Klobuchar before the first alignment, right? Because um, you know, you look around and if you're at half the level, you need to be at 15 percent. Yeah. Why go through, you know, why not? I mean, you know, one of the big advantages of the new system on the alignment was if you're at 15 percent, you're locked in and you can go home. Yeah. Um, and so the ability to go home early, that's an attractive thing. Um, and so, uh, you know, a chunk of people move right away. All right. Let's talk about Warren. Uh, uh, yeah. All I heard at least, you know, amongst other media people was that the if you were to grade the ground games of the candidates, it was Warren at first and, and Pete uh, 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 probably a 1A. Unfortunately, she sees a third place result, which is not a disaster for her, but certainly not right. where uh, she wanted to be considering the money and attention she put on Iowa. What happened? And honestly, uh, well, two things. I, honestly, I think Buttigieg has a better had a better ground game, right? Okay. I've, I've been saying that for a while. So I do I do think his ground game was a little uh, more impressive. Um, uh, I think Warren got so Warren. I think was uh, uh, in this weird spot, right? So um, from our data, like you know, if you think about it, we, we you can break the data into two pieces twice. Right. So uh, the people who show up at the Democratic caucus are either Democrats or independents who caucus. And there's more Democrats or liberals or moderates. Um, and Sanders drew well from liberals across the board. And he drew pretty well from Democrats and he cleaned house in independents. And so there's a bunch of sort of anti-party left wing people went for Sanders. Uh, Buttigieg and Biden drew from uh, moderates. And Democrats, uh, but they also, or excuse me, they did moderates, they did Democrats, and they also did okay in independents. Warren could only get sort of out of one of that quadrant, basically liberal Democrats. Yeah. So the folks who were independents, but but you know, sort of were in the more ideological side, they all gravitated to Sanders, and so she was left in this spot of, you know, can only compete amongst the for for the Democrats because she's a good partisan. Um, and on the other side, right, you know, Sanders was was cutting her off with some of the more liberal ones, and so it just she sort of got squeezed. 
All right, let's get into the big question then beyond the candidates. Obviously, this has been a massive black eye for the Iowa caucus, and there are questions as to what the fallout will be. Let's let, let's yep. start with, with, with the basics. Here's the big question. Is that the last Iowa caucus we're ever going to see like that, where it's the first in the nation? Uh, I'm I'm skeptical we're going to get to reform, right? I mean, it right. So there's a lot of things that have to happen to, to change the system. So first, it matters who wins in November, because if it's a Democrat running, if it's a Democrat uh, running for re-election, there will you know, the Democrats don't get to decide. The Republicans do, and I don't think the gotcha. Republicans are going to care. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, I think if it's if it's if if four years from now we're looking at only a Republican contest for a nomination, they're not going to care a whole lot about the fact that Iowa's too white. And, um, and, and, and by the way, let so, me just stop you right there because I don't think I've, I've I've said this publicly, but this was the most damaging visual that I can remember from that bizarre Twilight Zone caucus night. Was I was watching one of the local channels, and I, I forget which one it is, but their graphics package that they had left on screen the entire time was just empty without numbers, and so all you yeah. saw was just every single Democratic candidate zero 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 zero. The only numbers that were in official was Donald right. Trump, 97%, which just felt almost, you know, like, like you could not have created as a parody something that, right. that would be more demoralizing for the Democratic side. Yep. Yeah. So, okay. So what's going to happen in four years? Yeah. Like I said, it depends on who's in the White House. Yeah. Uh, you know, if Trump wins, both parties have to decide what's going on. Right. Um, or if, say, Biden wins and announces pretty early, he's only going to serve one term or something like that. Right. Yeah, so yeah. if if both parties are running, I, I, I'm not exactly sure by what process you get it changed. Right. Because it has to be a coordinated effort by both parties. Right. Since they tend to mostly line up. This is a bipartisan affair. And I'm skeptical that we're going to get the Republicans and Democrats to be able to agree on some type of reform. You know, how, how do we get to that process? Do we get to that process? But, you know, after the 68 election, we revamped the entire process through the McGovern-Fraser Commission, yeah. um, which worked with both parties. And, you know, McGovern was eventually, you know, was George McGovern, the guy who eventually got crushed by Nixon in 72. And Fraser was a representative from Minnesota. Um, but it's, you know, how do you find two, you, you would need to find a commission of people that both sides trust that can be led by people that both sides trust who aren't probably going to run for president, right? Because you don't want, you know, if it's, you can't put Mitt Romney, for instance, in charge, because Romney's probably going to run again. Yeah. And no one would trust him to not put his thumb on his, you know, oh, look, Utah's first all of a sudden, right? Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. um, or at least that would be the concern. So how do you build a commission that can come up with reforms that will then be acceptable to both the DNC and the RNC? Uh, you know, even if you hate this process, how do you get to a better one? <laughs> I mean, that's that's the big thing is is for for everybody who is you're talking with certainty that this would be the last Iowa caucus. I I, yeah. I, I really agree with you. I think that that's going to be, uh, you know, obviously that that's a very popular opinion in the downtown Des Moines Marriott lobby uh, uh, where all yeah. the media is assembled. I don't know if that, that there really is the kind of muscle once the, the, the dust settles. That being said. Yeah, I mean. Uh, yeah. uh, like this is a everyone gets fired scenario for the Iowa Democratic Party, right? Like th this is uh, a, a major, major, major unforgivable screw up, right? 
Yeah, no, it's bad. Um, the tooth, the yes, um, yes, no, it's it's particularly bad. I think they do need to clean house somehow. Um, right. The thing is, keep in mind, uh, part of what we did on caucus night was elect delegates, people, to go to the county and eventually the state convention where we decide who's in charge. Um, we don't know who those people are probably either, but, uh, that's, you know, the party business is part of what happened. And I don't know who we find to run the show otherwise, you know, I mean, being the head of the Iowa democratic party is not that great a job, uh, <laughs> you know, not that many people necessarily lining up, but we got to figure out something. The other scary thing is to keep in mind, this isn't going to be the only time this happens. Um, yeah. We've, you know, apparently today, both Texas and California, California, we already knew those, but we never wanted to admit it. Neither Texas nor California are going to be able to declare a winner on election night for their primary on Super Tuesday. Right? Yeah. California is going to have millions of mail ballots to count that have to be postmarked by Super Tuesday. Postmarked by. So they're going to be coming in for days. Texas apparently has reminded everybody that they're not going to be able to call their numbers on Super Tuesday either. Hell, we're not going to know. There's a good chance we are not going to know who wins the presidential election for like a week after the election. Wait, you're saying in, in the sure. general? In no, oh, right. So, uh, you know, there's a non-zero probability that, say, Arizona is the pivotal state, right? We get to every other state we can okay. either call because it's California yeah, yeah. or right? They, they call it on election night. The Arizona Senate race in 2018 took six days to declare. Yeah, and that was, that was the – And Martha McSally had the most votes on election night, but there was a lot of mail-in ballots, and that's why Kirsten Cinema ended up winning. McSally, to her credit, was gracious and calm – and said, let's let the process play out. I'm skeptical that, say, the Republican nominee for president instead of Senate is going to be gracious and calm and calling for the process to play out. So then, in your opinion, as somebody who studies this, is part yep. – is this just more – you hinted at it earlier. Is this just more the natural order of things and we should not be conditioned to know the results the night yeah. of? Oh, oh, God, yes. No, 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 no. Absolutely. As we've made voting more accessible, right? So we've uh, opened up more mail, uh, vote by mail, for instance. Yeah. Um, as we're trying to pay more attention to accuracy, those two things trade off with expediency, right? I mean, you know, like I, like I said early, right? The Democrats in past years could have ignored all of this stuff. And just declared the delegates and probably been right, but A, we'd never know because there was no paper trail. And B, we wouldn't care because we didn't ever count who how many supporters there were, right? It's the moves for transparency and accuracy, which are good things. Yeah. That caused and that caused the potential pro that led to where the app breaking created this catastrophe. Right. But if we had hadn't cared about as much about transparency and accuracy, then we're not in this then we're not in this problem and on election night right american elections are moving to the point where we're not going to count nearly or, or as fast as we have in the past because of vote by mail and we've got to be good with that right because if we're not we're going to be in a really bad place in november wow you're asking for a lot of patience i know though. you're asking I know. And this is why in part oh no no this is why in part i mean right so i'm a homer and i'm rooting for my state yeah um, and so i get a little defensive sure but at the, at one, at the, at the part that gets me a little bit is democrats are supposed to be the party of count every ballot 
of you know opening up the voter rolls, of making sure every vote gets cast that can get cast and that gets counted. And so for griping that it takes too long to accurately count votes is a really bad thing for the Democrats to be doing. Right. Because, I mean, to be blunt about it. Right. We we should not expect nobody should expect Donald Trump to be patient and calm if it's a super close election. Well, I mean, nobody at the at the at the victory parties that I went to in Des Moines seemed particularly patient or calm about the fact that there were no results in. Uh, Right. And, and, you know, I, I think that's for the Democratic Party, a really dangerous place to be. Because, you know, one of the things that I think we forget, and I think something that should be played, that, that should be talked a lot about as we're talking about the election results, is how Al Gore dealt with, say, the counting of the Electoral College in 2000. Okay. Right? Because the Electoral College is counted before the entire Congress. Yeah. And it's presided over by the, by the vice president. So he had to be the person presiding over the Electoral College when several Democratic members of the U.S. House, my memory is Maxine Waters in particular, challenging the electoral votes from Florida. But the rule is there has to be a member of the House and the member of the Senate who challenge for the challenge to go forward. And Al Gore had to shut down challenges to the Electoral College on his behalf because they didn't follow the rules. And he did it graciously, and he did it with such a calm demeanor that it saved our republic from an incredible amount of damage. Yeah. We need to remember that, and we need to hope in 2020 we can do the same thing. All right. Well, then then final question here, because yep. the, the big thing that, in my mind, as this has played out, that seems the most egregious is the pace by which we have found out these results because uh, uh, it it seems very weird to me that stretched over 24 hours we had 62% or now we have a little bit over 70% of that information. Yeah, I have in. no idea what's going on. So, yeah. so th- no th- then let's, clue then let's, what's going on with that. Then let's blue sky it, right? And let's say that we yep. should have more uh, patience. What should the rollout of this information be? If we are being responsible, uh, well, I mean, I, I mean, honestly, I think the Iowa Democratic Party should be releasing the numbers as fast as they get them, right? You know, we do that on election night with the Secretary of State. Yeah, I mean, right. That's the other thing is this isn't this is not a state-run operation. Most for elections, we have the Secretary of State releasing things. Here, we've got the Iowa Democratic Party, and again, this is part of the problem is that this is not as doesn't have the infrastructure that the Secretary of State will have, but they should be updating constantly. All right, we got this precinct. These are the numbers we've got. We're gonna, we're gonna, we've counted them. We've double checked them. We know they're the right numbers. Post them and just yeah. keep, it, you know, going as fast as we can, like we do with with elections. Yeah, because in my in my mind, it's got to be one or the other. It's got to be every bit of data yeah. that you get in, or hold it until you know, and then you know, right. you, and then yes. post it like that because you are. You know, and I know obviously for any of the Bernie people that are listening, they're furious because Mayor Pete has declared victory twice, right? Uh, yep. uh, despite the fact that, by all accounts, Bernie Sanders might come out ahead on on the 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 delegate equivalents. We don't know. There's still thirty percent, right. and a lot of it's from Des Moines where he does well. Yep, Pete does pretty well in Des Moines as well. I mean, I, I do think from my polling data. I, I just want to add, right, because I've seen that narrative a lot. Actually, okay. Pete does pretty well in Des Moines. Okay. Um, well, then, then yeah. So I think it, in part, it in part depends on where in Des Moines, uh, and I, I have no idea where those precincts are. So. Yeah. 
So do you suspect, and I'm sure by the time people listen to it, uh, listen to this, we might know for sure, but in, in your expertise, do you think that this lead retains in terms of standard or, or the, the, the delegate equivalents for Pete? Um, probably a little bit, but I, I, I would not be at all surprised if Sanders, I mean, passes it. Yeah. I mean, it's close. There's a lot of uncertainty, so you know, you know, if you, had, if you made me wager, I'd wager on Pete at this point having the most. Um, but I wouldn't be, you know, it's probably 60-40, 70-30. So. <laughs> oh my word! What a total mess. Uh, uh, I'll tell you what. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I've never been happier yep. that I that I booked a guest uh, than than booking you to, to kind of break down these numbers. Uh, so I will remind everybody again that Dave Peterson is the Whitaker Lindgren Faculty Fellow in Political Science at Iowa State University, and you can find him on Twitter, Dave Amp. Uh, and you have a book coming out called Ignored Racism, White Animus Toward Latinos, right? Yep. All right. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. As always, uh, uh, I, I think you brought a lot of at least uh, understanding in a fractured time to our listenership, so I appreciate it. Hey, nope. Happy to help. Happy to help. Politics. Well, you know, we got the State of the Union to get to. I guess the impeachment vote also is happening. But in fact, we now have word that Donald Trump has been acquitted on both charges. Let me uh, let's go ahead and look at the final vote here. Hmm. There's not really many. Supr- Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It appears that somebody has forgotten their mittens. Mitt Romney. Good God. That's Mitt music. Holy smokes. Uh, The news breaking as I record this, friends, is that Mitt Romney will vote to impeach. Uh, sorry, to convict the president of the United States uh, of one of the two articles of impeachment. So he splits the baby even there. Uh, oh, man. What does this mean? Well, it it means that Cocaine Mitch, who had, by and large, kind of, uh, uh, I think, severely outmaneuvered Chuck Schumer... He uh, loses a little something at the goal line. He wasn't able to keep that clean party line. Obviously, there's a rich history between Mitt Romney and Donald Trump from the moment that Trump entered the uh, uh, political sphere. There has been a bizarre love-hate relationship, uh, including this. This was from the... uh, from the moment that Donald Trump started to gain momentum in the uh, Republican primary. Donald Trump is a phony, a fraud. His promises are as worthless as a degree from Trump University. But of course, Trump wins. And at that point, things seemed to thaw between the two. Mitt Romney was one of the shortlisted finalists for Secretary of State, a job that went to Rex Tillerson, and eventually Romney decided to go to Washington, challenging for Orrin Hatch's seat, 
who was retiring back in 2018. And it was then that the strange bedfellows seemed to play a bit of footsie again with each other. Trump gave Mitt his endorsement. Uh, the president tweeted, Mitt Romney has announced he's running for the Senate from the wonderful state of Utah. He'll make a great senator and a worthy successor to Orrin Hatch. He has my full support uh, and endorsement. Mitt Romney responded, thank you, Mr. President, for the support. I hope that over the course of the campaign, I also earn the support and endorsement of the people uh, of Utah there. And so now we come to impeachment. And Romney has been certainly among the senators that were the most persuadable. Romney, Collins, Murkowski, Alexander. These are the names that either you were going to get them or or there was really no shot. And, and that's part of the reason why, you know, the conviction and removal was was kind of almost always fait accompli. But yet, just minutes ago, the announcement on the Senate floor that indeed Mitt would vote to convict the president, at least on the abuse of power charge. I sought to, hear, sought to hear testimony from John Bolton, not only because I believed he could add context to the charges, but also because I hoped that what he might say could raise reasonable doubt and thus remove from me the awful obligation to vote for impeachment. And there we go. The long and strange quixotic trip through impeachment has one final surprise for us. Mitt Romney goes rogue uh, against his party, uh, but certainly gains a, a ton of acclaim. I, I tweeted this as a joke when the news first happened, but I, I kind of feel like it's legit. Which of the 2020 Dems do you think we're going to is going to earn the Mitt Romney endorsement? Because Romney already went out to the Atlantic and said he's not going to vote for President Trump for re-election. For the record, Mitt Romney is next up for re-election himself in the state of Utah in 2024. So he is a little bit outside the realm of 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 the influence of an angry sitting president, even if Trump wins in November. But there we go. That's the end. The end of our impeachment talk is about Mitt Romney. Which, by the way, is a gift, an absolute gift to all the other Democrats because now they're going to have something they can hang their, 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 their hat on, right? They can say that we flipped Mitt It's a bipartisan impeachment vote. That's what matters in the Senate. What matters in the Senate is that all the other Republicans that that were persuadable are feckless. They are allowing uh, their president to trample over their respect. And we know that's a fact because the North Star, Mitt Romney, held his position. He voted to convict the president. Now, I think by the time that they started this entire process, maybe you'd like to have gotten a a bit more than Mitt, but I guess they get a Mitt. They get a Mitt. I pushed to impeach and remove the president, and all I got is a stupid Mitt. A Mitt's better than nothing, though. 
Again, because they're not going to be, I think that there was, I mean, there still will be, uh, obviously, uh, room for humiliation or that this was a waste of time. That, that that kind of criticism will come from the Republicans. But now Mitt Romney is an avatar for the Democratic Party. And I assume he knows it. Politics! Man, uh, I guess lost in all this is the fact that we had one of the most... Uh, uh, television forward state of the unions ever done not only do we get donald trump uh, effectively giving a campaign speech which a lot of people freaked out about i just think that he gives very distinct campaign speeches because i've always found state of the union especially in election years to be a presentation of the facts for why they should be reelected. um you know it's just that trump does it in a very trumpian way but also we got like made for TV surprises. Uh, two of the surprises got leaked early, and that was that we were going to get uh, the opposition president of Venezuela, who the United States recognizes as the president of Venezuela. Uh, of course, that segue naturally into Donald Trump talking about how the dangers of socialism can turn a country that is rich like Venezuela into one that is in need of us recognizing an opposition government. He had a scholarship given away, literally surprised a young girl live on camera that she was getting a scholarship. There was the recognition of a young boy who pledges to one day be a member of Space Force, only to then dramatically reveal that his great-grandfather was a Tuskegee Airman. And then, of course, the biggest. If you have not heard the news, Rush Limbaugh has announced that he has, the way he described it, late-stage lung cancer. Obviously, that is not a diagnosis that anybody would want. And he was live on television during the State of the Union given the Medal of Freedom. Last night, uh, obviously that's something that doesn't normally happen. Normally a presentation of a Medal of Freedom gets its own little moment, but I don't think this could be any more of the, the natural outgrowth of Donald Trump and Rush Limbaugh. Like, they are both folks who know where the moment matters most and like to put their stank on it, that is, you know, there is there is symmetry to that. There is there is a fitting tribute. There is, there is I mean, look, a conversation that can be had, it, Rush Limbaugh created a form of American art. The concept of talk radio doesn't exist, uh, or at least conservative talk radio, but really talk radio. I mean, he's the number one uh, talk radio person. Doesn't exist on the same level uh, without Rush Limbaugh. So we can debate whether or not he deserves it, but he got it. That happened at the State of the Union. And because there's no reality television show worthwhile that doesn't have a little, oh my God, did she do that drama at the end, while Trump is basking in his applause, 
Nancy Pelosi rips up his speech on camera. My God. And this, we we started talking about this at the 50-minute section of the podcast. Any other podcast, this probably would have led. Uh, uh, but but here we are. Here we are. It doesn't even beat Mitt. Politics. And that's going to bring us to an end today. Uh, I want to thank our Titanic $10 tier, the people that really... Uh, 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 help power this thing and it only grows bigger. Dennis, Jonathan, Brad, Olin and Angela, Zach, Chad, Andrew, Will, Peter, Christopher, Nick, Frozen, Jim, DL, Lindsay, Steven, Squids, Mixtape, Jaime, Adam, D-Laser, Andy, Paul, and Mike. You want to join them or just become one of our $3 members that gets two extra episodes every single week. You can be the one that goes to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Of course, you can sign up for my newsletter, Free Political Newsletter, at FreePoliticalNewsletter.com. And you can get my card game, The Contender, The Game of Presidential Debate, where you and your friends can have a great time. I've had a lot of people... Talk to me over the last uh, a couple weeks saying that, you know, we, we've started breaking that out again at board game nights. And it's uh, an absolute hoot, especially as we are into the political season now. Get that on Amazon. Just find The Contender. That will be it. You want an email? Send me an email. TheYoungAmerican at gmail.com. We get another episode from the studio Friday. And then past that, I'm off to New Hampshire, the Granite State. May or may not have a little guest of uh, Andrew Heaton along with me. Very excited to be out at the first primary with your boy, Andrew Heaton. Although, I don't know, man. Like Kevin Ryan. Kevin Ryan was my guy all throughout Iowa. I'm going to hang with Heaton. Like, there's really, like, I have, I'm going to have to decide. I don't think I'll be able to who my best friend is who wants or is currently drawing a check from Glenn Beck. Like, that's going to be a real, that's a, it's a real tough uh, uh, pick for me. But anyway, all right. So we, 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 we preview New Hampshire and then we will, uh, we will, we will be there. And you'll hear from me Monday, Wednesday from the Granite State. Oh my God, it's happening. It's happening. Ah! All right, that's it. Uh, uh, until next time, a reminder that some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics. Still more, they talk about politics, but this is the only show, friends, that talks about all
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>